Welcome to the Inventory Nation podcast, a show designed to bring you the incredible voices and stories of veterinary professionals coast to coast, all while helping you to manage and control your inventory. I'm your host, Nicole Clausen, coach, advisor, and champion for veterinary teams and their inventory. Joining you live from the mountains of Montana, welcome to the show. Hello, welcome back to the Inventory Nation podcast. I'm so excited you're here. In this episode, I'm so excited to introduce you to Bryn Hagerman, RVT, a customer service manager for Associated Veterinary Purchasing in Canada. Her role for the past few years has been one of partnership, support, and assisting with business development for her member clinics. Bryn is also the liaison between their clinics and AVP, and she loves being able to support clinics in doing what they do best. Welcome to the show, Bryn. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here too. Yes. Okay. I know. I think you're the maybe one of the first guests from Canada. So um, in this episode... We're really going to talk about what's the difference between practices and how they function in inventory, um, you know, looking at United States versus Canada. So I'm excited. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Okay. So normally I like to start off the show by learning more about you and your story and your journey in veterinary medicine. But I think for the listeners, it might make the most sense to learn more about AVP and the differences of how clinics in Canada and United States purchase inventory. Mm -hmm. So to get us started, what is Associated Veterinary Purchasing? So Associated Veterinary Purchasing is a veterinarian owned buying group. Uh, we service the members um, that own us, basically. So our group is owned by several hundred veterinarians in this province. They all have shares and they uh, request that we stock certain products within our facility. Um, And I think the biggest thing that really makes it very unique is that we only sell products to the veterinarians in our province. Um, And to be able to carry the inventory that's specifically requested by our members means that it's very, very customized and um, specific to what their needs are as veterinarians. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So other than through AVP, are there other options for purchasing? So in Canada, there are um, a few different groups that do similarly to what AVP does. Okay. Um, It's more geographically located. So there's um, a couple of groups sort of in the central and east coast of Canada. Um, There's a couple of distribution warehouses sort of in the Midwest. And they're more so um, sending out products that are very specific to their geographic locations. And then um, there are some practices that will purchase from some of them, but it takes a lot longer for shipping, etc. But within British Columbia, where I live, AVP is the really the only one um, that is servicing this area. Um, and it's interesting because I was just going to add that within this country too, like the majority of products are sold from the vendors to these distribution groups for relatively the same cost. And we all have approximately the same markup. So there's really not a ton of competition between each buying group. Um, Some places have distribution agreements with certain vendors. um, And our company is quite unique because we really only uh, stock the inventory that we're requested to stock by our members. We have about 
um, 8,000 inventory items that we stock. Uh, we have uh, about a 55,000 square foot warehouse that we keep our products in. And we have inventory that's about a 30 day rotation. So it's kind of like the massive storage room for all the veterinary practices in BC. <laughs> they let us know what they want and they, they order it from us and we ship it out. It arrives usually within a day or two. That is so interesting. So you house inventory. So you get it directly from the vendor or the manufacturer and Correct. you are kind of like the distribution. Correct. That's so interesting mm-hmm. because yeah. in the United States, the buying groups, they will, you know, negotiate prices, have different kind of like discount opportunities, but they don't actually ship any product and the mm-hmm. things are still purchased through distribution distributors and we mm-hmm. have you know like several big ones you know the big kind of you know the huge ones but there's also some smaller so that's not the case in Canada right you don't have these distributors no uh, so what we uh, did several years ago so our company has been open since the mid 80s and it sounds like from our conversations you and I chatting earlier that where you guys have been consistently, it seems like that's sort of where Canada was about 35 or 40 years ago. So if you were a veterinary practice, you would have to contact Bayer or Novartis or Pfizer or somebody to negotiate your, your purchases, do promos, order your product. So it was a lot of um, uh, a, a time management aspect for ordering inventory. Mm-hmm. And um, it it was it sort of made sense to have everything in like a one stop shop. So like for AVP, we carry anything from like toilet paper and paper towel to pharmaceuticals, pet food, vaccines, meds, supplies, everything, um, even to uh, different gases. So we have um, a vendor that we work with where the veterinary clinic can be invoiced for their oxygen or what have you through AVP. And it gets delivered by this other company. Um, and because it is a veterinarian owned group that they obviously re- have profits returned to them. Right. So it behooves them to buy as much as they can from AVP. Wow. That mm-hmm. seems like so convenient and such. Yeah. It's a huge convenience and a, and a time saver so that you can just sort of make your, your wish list, send it in. And then in a day or so, you've got your product in your practice. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, because I know that like a big part of it here is, you know, you will have different prices from different distributors. And Mm. so a big part of that is having to either like negotiate best prices or, um, you know, make sure that you're purchasing from the distributor who gives you the best pricing. So you kind of take care of that. Yeah, you have to do the legwork to try to figure all of that stuff out. (laughs) Yes, And I think that that's the thing is that like in my role with AVP, it's, it's really, I try to help them as much as I can with other aspects of the practice so that they have more time and energy to invest in actually practicing medicine and not having yeah. to worry about like, how are we going to manage our inventory? Where is this going to come from? That sort of thing. We work on staff training and all these different things. That is so cool. So, mm-hmm. um, 
now that we've kind of like clarified the big difference there, because I mm-hmm. think when we in the States kind of hear buying group, we think of something that's completely different than what AVP is. Than what the dis- yeah, distribution group or a buying group is in this country. Seems yes. like a different definition. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get started in veterinary medicine? I think there's a huge shift of people right now who, you know, they're not really jiving in and liking being in practice. And so I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. are starting to like explore more roles in the industry. So Mm -hmm. kind of tell me about your role in the industry. Tell me how you got started in that and what that looks like now. Sure, sure. So I think I'm pretty stereotypical as a young child. I would bring home everything that I could and try to keep it. (laughs) Loved animals, (laughs) loved horses. Um, When I grew up, I grew up on the east coast of Canada, and they had um, built a veterinary school in my city. And uh, my joke with my mom and dad was always that they had built it for me, and it was just waiting until I was old enough to go. (laughs) Um, So I went through and did my undergraduate degree in biology for a bachelor of science. And about two years into my degree, I'm like, I just don't know if veterinary medicine is going to be my gig. And so I decided that I would finish my degree. And then I went into um, a veterinary technician program in a different province. And so when I finished that, um, I moved to British Columbia and started working in a practice. Um, so British Columbia, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, is just above um, Washington, Washington State. And so I practiced in a small animal hospital that focused on a lot on reproduction. And I did that for about four years. Um, that was sort of um, also my first Uh, experience with inventory because being the head tech in the practice, I was assigned that job because I was the head tech, not because I knew how to do it or anything about inventory management. (laughs) Um, But uh, after about four years in practice, it was a little bit, uh, I guess it was one of those times where you're like, I just need a little bit more of a challenge. I need to do something different. Um, In the meantime, I had uh, also taught at a veterinary assistant program in our area. So I was main instructor for that and working at the clinic full time. So that was a busy year. Um, (laughs) When I left practice, I I joined a group called Pet Plan Insurance. And so I was the territory manager for Pet Plan for six years in this uh, province. And when I left Pet Plan, I um, was invited to join um, a group called Novartis Animal Health. So Novartis for me was one of those dream jobs at the time um, where I got to combine both my experience as a tech and working in clinic and and educating and using my brain for science and medicine. So it was super cool. Um, I went in through the merger with uh, Elanco when they were purchased. Uh, Novartis was purchased by Elanco, I think, in 2015, I believe it was. And I was with Elanco for two years. And I think just kind of had gotten to the to that point where I'm like, I'm tired, I need a change. Um, I was the hustle of sales, I think was a big thing for me. And I was like, it, it stopped really kind of one making me want to get up in the morning and go and hustle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when I left Elanco, I had reached out to some colleagues in the area. And one of those people was a woman named Stephanie who had done my maternity leave placement when I had gone on mat leave with Novartis and she was working at AVP. And so I said, well, hey, AVP is a very neutral organization. Like everybody talks to AVP first. So if you hear of anything, can you let me know? So and unbeknownst to me, the general manager uh, had responded with, really, she's available. Well, maybe we should hire her. 
And so um, they had never had an RVT on their staff before at AVP. And it was an opportunity for me to take all of the different experiences that I had had in my career thus far and really apply them to a new role. So I came into AVP as a customer service manager. And um, really, my primary focus was working with practices and collaborating with them around business and anything that they need for support or help from AVP. Because not only do we sell product, we also have a number of different services that we provide to our members free of charge. Um, One of those things um, shortly after I joined AVP was an inventory management analysis or inventory analysis. And I really just kind of like it was my jam. (laughs) And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I wish somebody had told me about this when I was working in practice because this would have been hugely helpful. And so it was one of those things that I really just took it and I ran with it. And I have done inventory analysis sessions and and working with practices for a good couple of years now. And we do them annually. Sometimes it's twice a year. And it's really just an opportunity to to get in there and help practices be able Mm -hmm. to run their business in a more efficient way. Um, because that's the thing is that inventory is a necessary evil, let's just say, right? It's the second largest expense for a lot of practices, um, if it's not their largest expense. But most people who come into a practice, they've never had any sort of formal training around, you know, business or inventory management. And it's an opportunity to just say, here's, here's how we can help, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. That sounds like such a fun role. I mean, I, oh, I guess I kinda... dream. it's literally my dream job, <laughs> literally my dream job. So yeah, yeah that sounds it. so perfect. And then when I heard of you and we had an co- opportunity to have a conversation, I'm like, oh my gosh, we can totally geek out on inventory. Like, that's <laughs> like she's like my new best friend. <laughs> Any day that I get to geek out on inventory totally. is a good day. <laughs> I know. I know. Hey. Well, it's good to have passion about something. And it's such a, it is such an important topic for practices too, because, you know, if, if inventory is not managed effectively, then they're either sitting on a ton of stuff that they've already had to pay for and they are not getting any money back for it, mm-hmm. or they're in the midst of an important procedure and all of a sudden you don't have product X. And yes. you're like, oh my God, what happened? Who didn't order it? You know? Right, so, right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think it's very interesting because people are like, oh, like I don't, they either just like accept that their inventory management system is going to be this hot mess or it's Mm -hmm. not super important for them. But I'm like, wait a second, without inventory, we can't treat our patients. Yeah, it's kind of a critical thing for sure. (laughs) Right, right. We can't just like sweep it under the rug. (laughs) Yep, you betcha. Absolutely. So now that um, you work with practices as an area manager, what are kind of some of the biggest or most common challenges that you encounter with practices regarding inventory that you work with? What are those, some of those challenges that come up frequently? Mm. Well, I, th- I think probably some of them for me, it's just a general knowledge on how to do inventory management, what concepts to kind of keep in mind, uh, some of the parameters like, you know, what should our inventory to revenue ratio be? Um, Mm -hmm. how long should we keep products on the shelf before we consider maybe not having them anymore? Um, You know, even just ideas about uh, counting inventory. Like there's so many clinics when I say, when's when's the last time you did an inventory count? And they look at me with this blank (laughs) stare and they're like, "Uh, like when the accountant told us we had to. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so year end. So you're doing it once a year because you have to. 
So if I asked you how many um, bottles of Deramax are you supposed to have on your shelf right now, would you be able to tell me? And they're like, no, we have no idea. So just this idea of knowing what they have in stock, doing a count, and then tracking what is actually sold. So in part and parcel, that's also using their inventory management software for their practice software, right? I mm-hmm. think that's it's severely underutilized in practice, and it would just save a whole lot of headache for people if they were able to utilize it properly, which it takes time, right, to practice those, yes. those different modules and become comfortable with them and um, going from there, I think. So those are a couple of things that I think are, are probably the biggest challenges that I encounter. And it's kind of just knowing, like, you know, how much to stock and what to stock And so when we do inventory analysis sessions, I think it's very similar to what it sounds like you do um, with your um, clients as well, is that you're just really looking at, you know, what do you normally buy on a regular basis? What is your 80% revenue coming from 20% of your products, that kind of Mm -hmm. idea? And what is just sitting there collecting dust? Because I think when, when the shift happens of inventory is not just boxes and tubes and bags of stuff on our shelf. It's money. <laughs> and yes, we paid for it to get here. So we've already shelled out the money to get it on our shelf. So how long is it going to sit there? How long are we okay with it sitting there before somebody pays us back in that we've used it in a procedure or we've sold it to the client? So when that shift happens, when you're like, oh, yeah, there's like $2,000 of stuff just sitting there collecting dust. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so those are the things that I think that really start to, to click for people when we start talking about inventory, for sure. Totally. And that's so interesting because I think it's the exact same challenges here. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. And it's very interesting to me that you can have a practice that is super rural. They have one doctor, they see cattle, and you could have a hundred plus doctor in a major city and they have very similar inventory problems. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to be a little bit different because you have scale that you're working with. Right. But, you know, it's really kind of most people just don't know what they have on the shelf, you know? Yes. And so, yeah, for sure. And then I'm like, so what happens if something gets stolen? Like what happens if you have theft? Like <laughs> right. will you be able to recognize that? Like yeah. how long until you yeah. be able to recognize that? Yeah. And for me, one of those biggest things that I see is like with controlled substances and unopened bottles, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't l- get your controlled substances in the practice, immediately log them into like some type of unopened container log. Mm-hmm. You know, what if somebody like swipes some unopened bottles, would you be able to tell and how long would it take for you to recognize that? Yeah. And that's you know, scary because the ramifications yes. of that is, is not good. <laughs> no, like no, not at all. <laughs> and if you have like a mixed animal practice or you're seeing um, horses, equine, mm-hmm. you know, you could have, like 10 or 20, 30, 40 bottles of ketamine, midazolam, et cetera, in, in your lock. Yes. Yeah, because so that's I'm the like, thing too, right? They'll have different trucks that they go out on their on their uh, farm visits and stuff too. And everybody's got their own inventory. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I'm like... That's scary. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's the thing too, is just that this idea of, you know, the ramifications of not knowing what you've got or or where it's going those are the, mm-hmm. the big things that i think once you once you help a clinic recognize that and even just something like um uh having like 
consumables. So a lot of practices, they will not actually track how many sleeves of gauze or boxes of syringes and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So so they're looking at that and going, how come, how come we've been losing some money in this area? It's like, well, you're using it, but you're not accounting for it, right? Yes. And so just even implementing something like that, where they've instead of just having them out loose everywhere, have have a stock cupboard somewhere of all of your supplies. And you know that the minimum amount of two by two gauze that you need to have is two sleeves and the most you need is four. And then you manage it from there, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's so beneficial to have like a central storage or some Mm -hmm. kind of supply area and then using min and max labels. So just kind of like you said, to have the minimum amount. So like if you have syringes, I should never be below two boxes of three cc syringes, Mm -hmm. but I also should not have any more than six on the shelf. And then when you're going around, you're like, oh, I have three. So I'm going to order three more to get me back up to that max level of six. Totally. Yeah. And just the other thing too, that I was going to say that just makes me think of this is efficiency in ordering too. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you've talked about before in your, in your different blogs around uh, uh, like, it's like you're making a recipe, you're going to plan ahead, right? You're going to know this and this and this. So this concept of planning ahead and knowing that, okay, so I'm going to go three through, let's say, um, you know, six bottles of something in the next week. So every two weeks, I'm going to buy 10 or 12 bottles of it versus every single time you place an order buying one or two bottles. It's kind of of like, you know, if I know my family, it goes through three pounds of green apples in a week, I'll buy a bag of three pounds of green apples every Sunday. And it's way more efficient for me than going to the grocery store every day and buying an apple or two to put back in the bag, right? So these are like all these little suggestions. And I think it's, you know, offering outside of the box thinking, because Mm -hmm. when when we're in our silo, and we're doing our stuff every day, uh, it seems to work okay. And it's like, I don't have time to think about anything else. It's just offering some easily implementable suggestions. Yes. I love thinking about inventory in terms of like regular everyday life. Mm -hmm. Because I think so many times we use inventory management strategies throughout our life without even thinking about it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Your instance of like the green apples, it's like, you know, you would never go to the store every day just to buy one apple. Like you would never do that. But a lot of practices will buy the same product every single day. Like they will buy one Mm -hmm. bottle of this and one bottle of that without realizing you pay for everything once a month. So Mm -hmm. if you are ordering something, the same thing every single day, Mm -hmm. that means you're spending that much more time placing that order, receiving that order, everything like that. Absolutely. Time is money, right? So, and a lot of the practices that I'll work with, I'm like, you know, your veterinarian did not hire you to solely order inventory. It takes up a lot of your time. So if you can save yourself an hour every few days by being more efficient in your ordering, then that frees up your time to do the stuff that your vet hired you to do specifically like as a tech or an office manager or something. Right. Totally. So, yes. Yeah. hundred <laughs> well, percent agree. Plan ahead. Plan ahead. <laughs> yes. so, yeah, for sure. 
And then don't be afraid to plan ahead and like, don't be afraid. Cause I think sometimes we get in this mindset of like, it has to be perfect or I don't want to spend too much money, but like, Mm. you're going to spend a bunch of money anyways for inventory. It's just expensive cost of doing business, but we have to figure out how to make it the most efficient and strategic that we can to kind of like limit the impact of that cost. I think that's really kind of where it comes in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think like you said, ordering one or something every day, that to me, that indicates that there's a practice that they just have a sell list and they write down every single thing that they're selling and they just order that the next day. And so it's almost like we're just doing this replacement, just trying to keep caught up but mm-hmm. not really coming from a place of awareness, right? Like, like when I used to work in practice and was given this job of inventory management, I was like, so what do I do? Like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and my vet's like, just make, sure that, just make sure that you don't run out of anything. So when I took this role on in the practice, I was like, okay, um, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, I managed inventory from a place of fear more than anything else. (laughs) And just kind of going from there, it was like, okay, so um, I'm going to make sure that I always have stuff stocked up. So I would have so much inventory on the shelf. And then all of a sudden, the vet would stop using it or, you know, the client's pet had died and so it didn't need it anymore and here we are stuck with you know three boxes of 20 milligram fortacor or something like that and so it was just this process of when I came into this role it was like okay if I make an assumption that the majority of people are very similar to where I was in practice then what do I need to do how do we Mm -hmm. help right yes exactly I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there is like people a lot of times will manage inventory operating from fear rather than strategy. Like they're so worried. And then when you go down and you have this information discussion and you give them some strategies and some ideas to implement, uh, most times when I leave these meetings with people, they're like, Oh, that was so great. Thank, thank you so much. Well, I, I think you're just giving me a lot of work to do though. And I'm like, but it's the good stuff, right? It's the, it's the stuff that's going to help you at the end of the day to free up your headspace to do other things. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, yeah. yeah. I know. Sometimes I feel like I love having those conversations because I literally live for like the light bulb moments yes. and like yeah. seeing the light bulb come up. <laughs> totally. But then I'm like, sorry, I'm like the homework lady. I come in and bring yeah. you a bunch of homework. <laughs> exactly. And I always say to you, like, you know, it, it's overwhelming at the start, right? If you see all these things that need to be ch- changed or shifted or modified. And, and I'll just say like, it, it's like, you know, anything else, just bit by bit. So, you know, it's not going to change overnight. It took you, what, how many years have you been doing this job to get to this point, right? Mm-hmm. So give yourself a little bit of grace and, and some permission to just kind of take little chunks and start to manage those. So whether it's pet food, um, whether it's your pharmaceuticals, whether it's uh, your parasiticides, like, you know, parasiticides, I think I'm sure for you guys too, it, it's a huge, huge um, market up here as far as variety now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, lots of products that have been introduced to the Canadian market over the last few years. And so a lot of practices, when we do these analyses for their inventory, they've been purchasing for the last year, something like, you know, 73 different SKUs of parasiticides. And so <laughs> yeah. I will meet with the veterinarian as well and the office manager, whoever's doing inventory. And I'm like, is this what you wanted to have happen? <laughs> Most of them are like, no, like this has just gotten so out of hand. And I'm like, what is your preference? What would you like to see? 
And so they'll say, you know, usually we'd like to have just a few different varieties. And I'm like, okay, well then let's get to that point. So what needs Mm -hmm. to happen? And so we talk about product consolidation. And if you've got, you know, seven different ear cleaners that you've been buying, but only two that you've been buying consistently, you don't need to buy the other ones because they're not emergency items, right? Yes, absolutely. It's not like it's, you know, atropine or something like that. And you need that in case of an emergency or what have you. So yeah, it's, I think it's, um, it's like you say, helping people have those light bulb moments is pretty cool. So yeah, it basically is what makes my world go round. Totally. <laughs> totally. It's, uh, it's and to track numbers. Yeah, it's it's the helper and the educator, right? All rolled yes. into one. And then you're just like, it's to have that sort of, you know, the value to an organization or to um, a client or a customer is sometimes not in what you can sell and it's what you can teach them. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, this is kind of an interesting question I was just thinking of. So what is a pretty standard markup and kind of like, what is the pricing strategy that you kind of recommend for a lot of Canadian hospitals to use? Because if everything purchased from AVP, you're very veterinary owned. So I'm sure you're very veterinary centric or like clinic centric. So how do clinics normally mark up the prices? And is there a lot of like cost competition there? Hmm, that's an interesting question. So um, we don't necessarily as AVP really rate, make recommendations on markup because there's a fee guide that comes out from every uh, veterinary association um, in Canada. And so the, just this idea of, you know, the recommended exam fee is this to this. So um, the recommended markup or dispensing fee for meds is this to this. Um, I'd say that in general, the practices that I have been working with, in general, um, they sell a lot of pet food in in Canada compared to the U.S. out of the practices, and most clinics mm-hmm. mark it up about 40, 50, 60 percent. Um, and most pharmaceuticals, I'd say, are about 100 percent markup. Um, same thing with over-the-counter stuff. Um and I think that that's the thing is that there's there really is no hard and fast rule. So it's kind of left up to everybody as to how they want to do it, mm-hmm. uh, which is so it's kind of fun for some, I'm sure, because they have the freedom to, to charge whatever they wish. Um, but I think it's also a little bit challenging because there's no real direction. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, and then whenever, whenever anybody ever asks me like, hey, what do you guys recommend markup for? And I'm like, I said, we don't recommend necessarily anything. I would suggest you speak to your rep for that company and they might give you a little bit better insight than I would. So it's not working in the, the sales aspect of it anymore. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, and also going back to what you said earlier, that's so interesting that they kind of come out with a guide as far as like what to charge for exams and all that, because we don't really have anything like that here. And so people oh. are like, people are like, how in the world do I price this? Like what, you know, so they kind of like call around to other local area clinics and mm-hmm. use that, but they don't really necessarily look at their cost for what that procedure actually costs them. And okay. so, you know, a lot of times it's based upon just kind of like, pulling a number out of thin air versus I was just like, gonna say <laughs> like a whole hey, lot of these mystery. Are my- <laughs> yes. that sounds like a good number that sort of thing right. yeah no I'm it is, pretty it's sure that definitely works. helpful because there's uh you know the the associations for veterinarians they'll, they'll bring out their fee guides I think it's annually um mm-hmm. and it's just it's a suggested guideline right and yeah. whether or not that's what you choose to do like 
you know, for let's say for blood collection. Well, some practices will just pull blood and send it off to the lab. Well, other clinics, they will have it all inventoried out and they'll have a blood pull fee. They'll have like a syringe and needle fee, like, or what have you, maybe they're doing it with a, a butterfly catheter or something. And everything is, is invoiced out because now they're helping manage it through their inventory software. Right. Um, so it, it all just depends. It, it does vary from practice to practice though. Sure. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So for anyone listening, what is one tip that practices could implement today that would make a positive impact on their practice? Hmm. I think that the one thing that people can do is start to pay attention to how long something's sitting on their shelf mm-hmm. and ask themselves, does it need to be there or does it not need to be, to be there? Um, so, for example, like something like um, a certain kind of treat or dental chew, if you ordered that um, three months ago and it's sitting on your shelf and all the other ones that you have have sold, well, clearly nobody's knocking down your door to grab that, but you've already <laughs> paid for it and it's sitting on your shelf. And like I said earlier, this is now, you know, 20 bucks collecting dust and it's not really contributing to the success of your business. So to be aware of like what you're buying and how long it's actually sitting on your shelf and to start really focusing on the stuff that you know that you order all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need 16 different SKUs of ear medications. Because if you, totally. do, if you do an analysis and you see that there is three different brands that you use all the time and there's six different SKUs, then just carry those because that's clearly going to be more profitable for you as a practice. And you've got three different varieties to choose from that you don't need all the random ones that you would pull once a year. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so if anyone is listening and you're like, oh, I could really use an inventory analysis, that is something that I offer. So if that's something you're interested in, you need help, just go ahead and send me a message on Instagram. Send me a DM at Veterinary Care Logistics. Just DM me with the word inventory analysis, and I can give you some information on that and I can help you get started in the right direction. And it's also something that we cover pretty extensively in the Veterinary Inventory Strategy Network platform. Platinum group. So we talk about this a lot about how to, you know, evaluate your inventory and see if things are working well, because absolutely to your point, Bryn, it is so critical that we really intentionally stock our practices, you know, and not just keep everything on the shelf because we're afraid a busload of Great Danes is going to yeah. come in. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's so, it's when you say that, it's like when you use the word afraid, I think that the, the, the best attribute and one of the hardest things about being in this industry is that we really don't want to upset anybody. We're people pleasers. We like everybody to be happy. And the last thing mm-hmm. we want to do is inconvenience somebody because they would like to get a parasiticide that we've chosen not to stock in our practice anymore. Um, or we don't have that. What if they go to another clinic and, oh, my God, what if we lose them over a tube of toothpaste? Mm-hmm. And so this idea of, of having everything just in case but getting like the the inventory analysis that you'll do, I'm, I'm guessing it really does help see things in black and white of, mm-hmm. well, I don't think you do need it all the time because you bought that 11 months ago and it's still sitting on your shelf. So yes. you don't need it all the time. And hey, I also heard um, through the grapevine that you're writing a book. 
I am writing a book. Oh yes. my gosh, that is so cool. I'm going to line up for a signed copy of that. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. It's more work than I ever thought, you know, because I've never written a book before, but it's been mm-hmm. quite kind of a fun process. That's fantastic. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I should talk about this and that and this and that. So mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. So last question that I always like to ask, do you have any advice or words of is hello, hello, words of <laughs> wisdom for newer inventory managers? Oh, interesting. I think it's talking to your team and getting everybody else's input as to what do they think is working and what is not working. Mm -hmm. Um, Because inventory is not just one person's job. Every single person that works within a facility touches inventory. Mm -hmm. So it might be just the person that works on Saturdays that's stocking it and they ended up putting it in the wrong location and now you don't know where it is. Um, or it's the receptionist, or it's your assistants or techs or manager. So getting everybody's insight, um, if you're a new inventory manager, and getting your purchase reports from whoever you can, whether it's your reps or what have you, your distribution groups, um, and finding what did you purchase in the course of, let's say, a six or 12-month time period, and also looking at what did you sell. Mm-hmm. Because comparing those two numbers is going to tell you if you're either completely overstocked with something or just something's not being utilized properly. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's my, my words of wisdom. I like it. That's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Bryn, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. It was such a pleasure. And it's always so interesting to hear um, other people talk about inventory. So thank you so mm-hmm. much. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was awesome. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inventory Nation podcast and spending your time with me. I know your time is valuable and in short supply, so it truly is an honor. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or leave a review. Be sure to visit vetlogic.co slash podcast to access the show notes and discover additional links and resources. See you next time.